Good evening, everyone. Tonight, I'd like to share some reflections on right attitude, wise attitude. And you've been hearing from us a lot that this practice is about observing things just as they are. No need to fix or change the moment. We're learning how to show up and be with the moment, with ourselves, with phenomena in the world, just as they are. And in learning right attitude, this frame that Sayada offers, I think it's very helpful to see our experience as made of two parts. We have the object, and there are many objects of our awareness, our body, all the feelings, the pleasant, unpleasant, neutral feelings in the body, the tension, the ease, the temperature, the breath. We have all of our sensations, hearing, smelling, seeing, tasting, touching. We have all of our thoughts and our emotions, our moods. So those are the objects of our awareness. And then we have something that's called our attitude, what what we feel about those objects. (laughs) Do we like those objects? Do we not? Or do we mostly just ignore them? So some of you know that I spent the last 14 months in a cabin retreat in Oregon, mostly in solitude, mostly in silence. And when I started out, there was a lot of uh, energy and inspiration for the practice. It's a lot of momentum. I was plugging along, plugging along. This was uh, November a year ago. So it was cold winter in the mountains and just good weather for practice. (laughs) Couldn't really go outside. So there's a lot of just practice in the cabin. And January, February time, I got news uh, that someone who I had trusted really betrayed me, betrayed my trust. And I've been going along so well. And in that, that moment of hearing the news and then feeling the heartbreak, it just opened up a huge well of rage anger, rage, ill will towards this person, like pretty intense, fiery, hot rage, big, very big. So nothing to do, no other distractions, (laughs) nobody to take this out on, but just sitting with rage and rage and rage and fire and rage. So that in itself was painful. But then I had all of the judgment, the shame, the guilt that here I was in my retreat just spending all my time raging and a very clear voice that said, this is not what good yogis feel like in solitary cabin retreat. So with the help of a teacher, we started calling this the Buddhist superego. 
the Buddha superego, he said, uh-oh, you're not allowed to do that. You're not allowed to have this like fiery, hot, F-bomb kind of rage happening in your retreat. No, no. Good yogis don't have this kind of ill will. So this superego that allows certain things to be okay and other things not okay. You can't be like that. And working with this teacher, very skillful, the support, really started to see, oh, this was an attitude issue. <laughs> right? That there was so much rebellion and resistance and aversion to my rage that I really felt stuck. And in fact, that, that aversion, judgment, the shame, the guilt, that was so much more painful than the actual just hot burning rage. And because I'd heard a lot of teachings about right attitude, when I saw that, I was able to really gently turn towards and feel, it was very unpleasant, but feel the heat, the discomfort, the anger, it changed really. It was such a powerful teaching about attitude. And I know now, you know, it may sound cliche, we just need to turn towards, right? But when you're doing the practice, it is a big U-turn. It's so powerful. When I could be with it all, the heat, the rage, the judgment even of it, it all changed because I was resting back in an awareness that wasn't judging the whole situation, that actually got pretty curious. And learning how what was happening, how the body and the mind, the thoughts, the emotions, how they all interacted. And through that experience, I felt like, oh, I know so much more about anger now. I didn't know before. So some wisdom arose from that. So right attitude, here's a definition. Accepting, observing, and learning from your experience, just as it is. Shwayumin Sayada, Utijaniya's teacher, says this. Don't try to do anything. Don't try to prevent anything. But don't miss what's happening. Don't try to do anything. Don't try to prevent anything. But don't miss what's happening. That's it. I think that's kind of like a mic drop kind of moment. Like, we could all just go now. (laughs) That's it in a nutshell. So we're learning to be with pleasant and unpleasant in a relaxed way. And of course, even in subtle ways, we're usually trying to have a different experience than we're having. Have you seen that at all today? Trying to manipulate yourself, right? Do it better, do it right. And when we do this, when we try to have a different experience, we can't actually really see the present moment. And this prevents us from learning about the nature of things. And that's what we want to do. We want to just learn. So it's very important to be with what's uncomfortable so we can learn from it. 
One reason why we keep emphasizing awareness, synonym with mindfulness, this observing mind actually has the capacity to just watch the push and pull and not get caught in it. So again and again, we're coming back to this observing mind that's free from the wanting, the not wanting. And more and more, it sees through the confusion and the delusion. This is why it's a kind of refuge. Of course, we still can have those experiences. We can have greed, aversion, delusion. In fact, that's what teaches us how to be free of them. So we're not getting rid of them, but we're learning how to be with them in a different way, in an awareness that's accepting, observing, and learning. Sayada Utejaniya says, this is the right frame of mind for meditation. A mind that's free of compulsive liking and disliking, and therefore is able to see things clearly as they are. One of my favorite Sayada Utejaniya stories. There is a yogi who was sitting in retreat at Shwayumin, the center in Burma. And she was standing in line for um, a meal, the lunch meal. And have you noticed that this is kind of a big deal, the lunch line? <laughs> How is your mind when you look at the board? and see what's on the menu for the day. And then how is your mind waiting and watching and such a practice, right, that Vance introduced you to. So this yogi was a good good practitioner, and she looked ahead. She was far back in the line, but she looked ahead to the buffet, and she saw, this is not a vegetarian center, she saw that there was shrimp in the buffet. And shrimp is like her favorite thing. So right there, she saw this greed arise in the mind and all this worry. She was way far back in line. Was there still going to be shrimp by the time she got there? All this happening. And usually they come together. Greed, aversion, fear, anxiety. Have you seen that? They tend to come. They're friends. So she worked with this and she had time because she was in the line. She was working and observing the greed with right attitude. It was very curious. Oh, look at this coming. Oh, look at all the thoughts and the worry. And whew, look at all the judgment I have of these yogis taking too much. Oh, that person's not taking any. Right? All of it. She's working, working. And by the time she got to the shrimp, the greed had gone. That's a moment to pay attention to. When you're observing with right attitude, you can watch the arc of these mind states and to really watch that they do go away. Eventually they do cease. Carol told us beautiful stories last night about that, working with, working with, and then ah, that moment when the mind can release. Really good to pay attention to those moments, and sometimes they're harder to see because we have negativity bias. We're always looking for what's wrong. But look, you had probably many of them today that moment of release. So she had that. She was free. And so she went and she reported this in a group interview with Sayada. He was very interested. He was listening, listening. And then she got to the part where she was free of greed. And he said, but did you eat the shrimp? <laughs> very interested. And she said, well, no, I didn't need to. I, was, I didn't need it anymore. And Sayada said, eat the shrimp. LAUGHTER 
when you're free of greed, you can do it. You can enjoy. Right? And the way I've heard the story, he was sort of like upset. Like, you should eat this. Right? You worked for it. So that's also a beautiful permission. Eat the shrimp. So whatever you're experiencing in this moment is the right experience. And there's no need to be happy or unhappy or assess your practice or feel like you're doing it right or wrong. You don't need to like or dislike what's happening. We're just curious, open, receptive, curious. What can I learn? What can I learn about this? And of course, we're going to have lots of reactivity. We're going to have a lot of attitudes about things, liking and disliking and ignoring. And sometimes it can feel like this sort of ripple, right? We have an unpleasant experience or some kind of defilement in the mind, and then we have the feeling about it, which is usually judgment, not liking, try to get it to go away, and then we feel like, well, that's not right attitude, and that's wrong. So we have these layers that ripple, right? Sort of the nature of aversion. But right attitude helps us back up and see, okay, we'll have the original unpleasant experience. Then we have a judgment about it. Oh, I can watch that. I can be with this. I can be with those two layers. No problem. That's where we can stop that perpetuating cycle. And sometimes it takes us some time to get there, but that's why we're practicing. So these little reminders dropping in, what's the attitude in the mind? How am I feeling about what's happening right now? What's the attitude? And if you see, oh, there's a subtle push-pull, that's okay. We just want to watch that. Can we watch that with right attitude? When we're not driven by all these reactivities and judgments, we can get very curious about them. We learn how they function, how they arise, and how they release. So today in groups, I heard a lot about perfectionism. Anybody experiencing that? It's okay, you don't have to raise your hands. So there's, then there's really no need here. There's no perfect meditation. You don't have to find the right object, right? Sometimes there's questions about, should I be with the breath? Should I be with the body? Should I be with my thoughts? Should I walk? Should I sit? You don't have to find the perfect thing or the perfect posture. We're just paying attention to the meditating mind, which naturally cultivates beneficial, healthy mind states. And so as such, we can use any object to cultivate this kind of awareness, anything at all. That's the beauty of this kind of stability or samadhi that we're building, that it can use lots of objects and it builds momentum in that way. So again, in this long retreat that's coming to an end now, uh, because my partner and I, we were in the forests of Southern Oregon, where there is now a very real fire danger every year, smoke season. So it wasn't safe for us to stay, stay in those cabins, so we took this long journey on the train to come here to the forest refuge for three months in the summer. 
And the climate here is very different. There are like these big thunderstorms and rainstorms. It would get very hot and humid, and then it would get cold. And I realized I was being a very good renunciate yogi. I didn't bring the right clothes to this retreat. Three months, and I was hot and cold and not right. Nothing was right about what I brought. So there was a whole practice there to try to renounce my need to be comfortable and to have more clothing. Worked with that. A lot of greed arising in that retreat. And then a very dear friend of mine showed up to do a retreat here, and she brought clothes for me. (laughs) Very generous friend. And in that moment, when I received this big, beautiful bag of lovely clothes, such a good moment to practice. Greed, big time, right? Oh my gosh, this wealth of clothing. Guilt, shame, there's that superego again. I shouldn't want all this beautiful clothing. Joy, and like, wow, now I'm going to be comfortable. (laughs) Gratitude for her and her friendship and her generous heart. So much. And also a little bit of burden, like, oh gosh, now I have more stuff to take care of, and I don't know if that's going to fit in my suitcase. Right? That mind came up. So much there to work with. And what I noticed, because I had some momentum, I'd been in retreat for some time, I noticed how it was sort of like this train of this feeling, and then this feeling, and then this feeling. It was like wholesome, unwholesome, wholesome, beneficial, not so much. Oh, nice, right? I could kind of see it in a kind of sequential way. And I had more samadhi after that. Even though it seemed like kind of a, a mess, right? All this wholesome, unwholesome. The samadhi that knew moment by moment with right attitude what was happening deepened the stability of the mind. So none of that is wrong. All those were good objects. All those were good meditative objects. All the feelings you've had today, all the thoughts you've had today, the doubts, the sleepiness, the restlessness, all can be support for your practice. The beauty of this style, it's really all fertilizer. It's all supporting. If we can hold it with this kind of right attitude that knows I'm going to use this to support my growing attention, my growing curiosity about what's happening moment by moment. So Sayada says, the most important question, is the mind observing with wholesome qualities or unwholesome qualities? And sometimes that can feel even a little judgy, but unwholesome is meaning just stuff that gets in the way, right? With judgment, aversion, or wanting more. How is the observing mind? And there can even be subtle ways that we're holding a kind of push-pull. But we want to know it. We simply want to notice. That's why dropping these questions in is so helpful. Is the mind observing with wholesome or unwholesome qualities? He says, when any kind of dissatisfaction arises, try to recognize it, fully accept it, and watch it very alertly. These steps add a new dimension to being continuously aware. 
namely an active and purposeful inner investigation. During this process of observation and exploration, the causes of dissatisfaction may become clear. Now, a caveat, we're talking a lot about allowing and accepting. If you are overwhelmed or getting flooded and really feeling just like you're swimming in a soup that's very hard to get out of, then is a really good time to take a break. We don't want to push that kind of overwhelm and force ourselves to be allowing when the mind is really resisting something. So just to name, sometimes it's skillful to change posture, to go outside, to shift it up. Right? That's also right attitude. If you're really hearing messages, a kind of inner wisdom that's like, I need a break. I think the fun part about this practice is that it's like we're observing, I think Sayada uses this, um, he says it's like we're observing wild animals in their natural environment. That's us. (laughs) And in this cabin retreat, I've had a lot of opportunity. It's sort of my wheelhouse to go out and watch the tracks and get to know the other animals that are there living in the forest around us. And last winter, we had a very big snow so delightful, very rare in the forest in these mountains in Oregon to have a big dump. Though we did, it snowed for like a whole week, really big fat flakes, so much snow, we could barely go outside. And over that time, the mice started coming into the cabin. So this cabin is very sweet. It's built in the 1970s, a lot of cracks, a lot of ways for little mice to get in. And it was interesting to watch because I felt like I had been just great in practice, going along, doing my thing, and then these mice started coming. And first, I chose to watch it with delusion, to deny. I was hearing sounds at night, and I was like, oh, no. No, no, they're not inside. They're just, they're outside. (laughs) Very willful delusion. (laughs) But maybe I don't pay attention to them. Maybe they just won't exist. So that, you know couple days, couple nights, they're nocturnal, so it was about bedtime, I could hear them coming out. Didn't really work to ignore them. So, started really getting curious about these mice. And I have a lovely caretaker, dear friend, who, whose job it is to kind of keep track of these cabins, and make sure they're okay, and he was very concerned, because it's not good if the mice are coming in. And so together, we brought our awareness to this project. Where are the mice getting in? And he had really, I mean, he's so meticulous. He had really made sure that there weren't a lot of cracks. And then I went again through the cabin. We had the steel wool. We were pushing in, you know, into all the cracks to try to get, make sure they weren't coming in. Then I started sort of tracking, like, where are their poops coming? And what food are they getting into? They really like the prunes. So there's all this awareness, attention, and really curiosity. And I was also motivated, right, maybe by a little bit of aversion, to figure this out, right? Where are they coming from? And the whole time, Scott, our caretaker, said, well, you put all your food, I had had food out. He said, don't leave the food out. Put all your food in the cabinet under the sink because that's really sealed very well. There's no way they can get into that cabinet. Or you know where it's coming. It's going to go. So I did that. And then, of course, I can hear them in the cabinet. 
A lot of awareness at night, really listening, like pretty sure they're under the sink, pretty sure. So with a lot of attunement and awareness, I went and I saw, it was amazing. These mice are amazing. They're like super mice. They were coming up through the drain pipe. And the drain pipe is this like long, vertical, slippery, wet, like kind of gross in there. Vertical. They were climbing up. I have no idea how. Like feet of, of drain pipe they were climbing up through. And coming out, there's a hole in the, in the pipe. So when we figured that out, we were able to just put the steel wool in and they stopped coming. I think that's a good story about awareness plus wisdom. (laughs) Because we had enough awareness, we kept looking, we kept looking, a lot of curiosity, and then eventually enough data, enough information was gathered. So we saw, light went off. Oh, it's actually not what we thought. We thought the cabinet was safe, but it's actually there. That's what makes this practice fun. We don't know how wild animals behave. But let's figure that out. Let's figure out what is the nature of this aversion. What is the nature of this greed? And it's so freeing when we have that light bulb go off. Like, oh, I see it arises this way. Oh, I see it arises with these conditions. Or it ceases with these conditions, right? That's the wisdom that knows, causes conditions. These, These mind states, they come and go. They're conditioned. And so wisdom can keep growing to realize certain conditions can be put in place so that we suffer less. Very practical kind of wisdom. Hmm. Today I was preparing this talk and I realized this book, Don't Look Down on the Defilements. That's the one, right? Um, We're going to talk about that book. I think the cover has this picture of this meditator with all these mice, (laughs) right? I think it's a pretty good metaphor. Like, the mice are like defilements, and we don't want to look down on them. We want to befriend them. They are our teachers. It's like that. We're just learning the nature of things. Jane Goodall is a very good example. 60 years of observing chimpanzees. Now one of the leading primatologists, anthropologists, and an activist now. Still traveling at 88 speaking, visionary. She knew how to observe with right attitude, I think. These chimpanzees, so much curiosity. She says, only if we understand can we care. Only if we care, we will help. Only if we help, we will be saved. And it's like that. It's like a a domino effect. As we're observing, mindfulness gets more continuous, right attitude is more accessible, wisdom comes. One of my favorite retreats I ever sat was, Alexis was teaching in Finland, and my partner and I went to, to sit as yogis on that retreat. It was this lovely center on the shore of a lake, it was summertime, all those lupins were blooming in Finland. It was so green and beautiful. The lake is swimmable. There was a sauna at the center. Many hammocks. Many places for lounging. And my favorite thing was to, I did walking meditation just around the center. And at some point I had this feeling like, 
I think I probably had a soundtrack going in my mind, you know, the, like I had a song going. And I sort of felt like I was in a movie. And I was just observing, like there's somebody over there taking a nap, somebody over here swimming, somebody over here eating a snack, all with awareness, right? We're just doing our practice. We had the open schedule that you have. Somebody over here looking very like calm and serene, meditating. It was so fun just to watch, like this is life. This is life happening. Just observing nature, right? I was very moved by that, this deep kind of relaxation. People at the end of that retreat said, I've never felt so relaxed before. <laughs> very good conditions for right attitude to arise when you're comfortable, when you're relaxed. So understanding the causes of greed, hatred, and delusion is what dissolves them in a real way. We can strategize, we try all kinds of ways to pull them up, yank them out, shut them out from our experience. (laughs) Have you seen yourself do that a little bit today? Wrangle with them. But we really have to understand their causes, and once we do, the mind will naturally begin to incline in a way that's more wholesome, that's more steady, that's more in alignment with who you really are. So right attitude develops your skills in dealing with the three unskillful root qualities. We automatically like some experiences. We grasp at them. Something's pleasant. We want it. Something's unpleasant. We push it away. And unconsciously, you might see this in retreat, we're mostly ignoring, aren't we? There's so much that we're not seeing. So much that just is outside of our awareness. And more and more, this practice helps us see with right attitude what's happening. So again, Shwayumin Sayada, don't try to do anything. That in itself is radical. Have you ever not tried to do anything? Really? Such a deep kind of relaxation. Don't try to prevent anything from happening. But don't miss what's happening. So one of these metaphors that a friend of mine uses for mindfulness, I've been using this some because I love this metaphor. It's about, um, some of you know, the story of the gray wolf in Yellowstone National Park. So in the 20th century, there was a lot of hunting. Many, uh, many wolves were killed in, this, in Yellowstone, and eventually... There were no wolves left. And without this predator, the ecologist started observing what happened. Well, the predator wasn't there, and so the elk started overgrazing. Too many elk. And when they grazed all the shoots, the aspens, the little shoots, right? Aspens and willow, all the little plants, that changed the river ecology. It's harder for the beavers to build their dams. So all these populations started getting out of balance. Too many elk, not enough beavers. The waterways were impacted, which then impacted the waterfowl and all of the grasses and the meadows. Things got out of whack, and pretty soon there were places that were just barren and overrun by rodents and all kinds of other species that were overpopulating. 
So with a lot of work, the conservation movement, a lot of ecologists, and lots of other efforts, of course, there was, in the 1990s, an effort to reintroduce the gray wolf back into the park. And can you guess what happened? That gray wolf was was a keystone species. That keystone species then brought the elk population back into balance, which allowed the new plants to grow, which then beavers started to come back, and the birds came back, and everything, not perfect, but really much more balanced in that ecosystem. So this keystone species, that is awareness. When we have awareness, when we have this observing mind that can simply know without a lot of reactivity, all these other beautiful qualities are invited to flourish in our hearts and minds. And I love this metaphor because doesn't your heart sometimes feel a little barren and overrun? I mean, the forces of greed, hatred, and delusion are strong. They're very much in our collective experience. And we come here, we're so tired, we're so exhausted, really, I think, because we're at, out in the world, it's just the winds, you know, greed, hatred, and delusion. And so this is like a permaculture for the heart. We're reintroducing back these native species into the heart. Mindfulness, caring, a kind of collectedness of the mind, energy, trust, Natural kindness can come out then. And that's, again, the magic is that we don't have to force these. Like a chain reaction, mindfulness brings along all of these others. And we want to pay attention to them when they're here. Again, negativity bias, sometimes we just ignore what's here in the room. But I can say, even after just two days of practice together, this room feels different. Have you noticed some of those wild native species coming back into your heart? Just a natural kindness, a feeling of connection maybe, maybe a little more patience with yourself. The wisdom that knows, oh, I need to go rest, I need to take a nap. This is your birthright. You have these qualities and all it needs is a little bit of mindfulness, this light that can shine on them and then they grow and they flourish more, more and more and more. And this is why Sayada says that it's important to know the whole experience. We want to know all of what's happening. When we see all these different factors arising, when we see that awareness has room to know lots of different things, then more and more we see how they interact. Again, just like observing wildlife, we start to see how one species interacts with another one, how they impact each other. This practice really takes a lot of patience. It takes so much faith and resolve to be with the discomfort. It takes a lot of care for ourselves to know, okay, sweetie, I can be with this. Can I be with this just another moment? Can I breathe my way through? Can I put a hand, just be with this? It takes so much strength, really, and perseverance. And sometimes we don't give ourselves enough credit. You've been here for two days. It's hard work. 
but the payoff is so great. It's so, so worth it. So in your practice, you can play with this progression. Often it's easy to just know one object for a while, just know the breath, just know the body. But see if you can know two objects or three objects. Pretty soon you start to see, whoa, there's a lot going on here. Interesting, actually, during through all that rage time that I had, I could see, wow, I'm raging. But also there's a kind of peace. Sometimes there was, when I wasn't all judgy. It was interesting to see, sometimes we can know lots of things at once. And we might discover something new about ourselves. That part is really fun. Sayada says, once you are able to see this whole picture, you will begin to understand how all these objects interact with one another to create either more stress or more ease in the mind. And this is understanding. This is wisdom. So again, we want to continuously check our attitudes. Don't try to create anything like a positive mind state. Don't try to reject what's happening. Notice if there's a kind of not knowing or willful delusion. Just going to ignore that part. And of course, with this kind of practice, we're going to see that we have wrong attitudes. We have all kinds of wrong attitudes. So we're just understanding them so we see how they impact us. My friend Alexis has been a very good example for me. And just a few months ago, we were Zooming, my partner and I, his partner and him, on on Zoom, and just kind of checking in and sharing about our lives. And he's been involved in a building project. And they had encountered a very big obstacle, something that could be disastrous. It could cost a lot of money. It could cost a lot of time. It would mean maybe redoing a whole bunch of work. Very painful obstacle. And as they were telling the story, I watched my mind be like, oh, this is bad. This is terrible. What are you guys going to do? Like so much, really, resistance to the news and kind of drama coming, right? And all at once I saw as they were telling the story, I saw Alexis. He's so relaxed. He's like, oh, it's just a little snafu. That was such a teaching for me. Right? Can we see a lot of our obstacles as like, oh, that's just a little snafu, no big deal. It'll change. It's very inspiring. We might not always feel that way, but that's okay. Can we remember this very relaxed attitude? This too shall pass. Maybe something unexpected will solve this problem. We don't know. Very good practice. Alexis is telling me that he ended up just ignoring the problem. (laughs) Did it work? It worked well. (laughs) There you go. Good practice instruction. (laughs) Mm. So have you noticed yourself judging your practice at all today? We do this. We assess. 
It's only day two. I remember early on in my practice, I had a lot of that. Like, is this working? I don't think this is working. I feel pretty neurotic still. And I remember going into my teacher um, at the time, and I was really crying. I was in college. I was young and just distressed and crying and feeling like I'm putting in all this effort. I'm putting in all this work, and it's just not making any difference at all. I am still such a mess. And she looked at me, and she said, well, she knew I'd started meditating maybe five years ago. She said, think about your mind five years ago. Is it different now? And, of course, the momentum of my self-pity was pretty strong, so I wanted to be like, no, it's not any better. But when I really looked, I could see that there were big differences in my mind. Still very neurotic, but pretty different. Pretty different. And I had to admit to her that, okay, okay, five years of practice maybe made a little bit of difference. And His Holiness the Dalai Lama says this. He says, don't try to assess your practice. You don't know whether it's going well or not. You really don't know. He said, if you want to assess your practice, take it a decade at a time. How is it 10 years? How was it 10 years ago if you've been practicing that long? And then 10 years from now, maybe remember, you can set a timer for yourself. 10 years from now, check how is my practice doing. You've got to trust it. We're taking the long view. And so moment by moment, day to day, we can't know. There's this beautiful story from the Zen tradition that practice is like walking in fog. And we have all these robes on. We're just walking in fog. And we don't actually know that we're getting wet. Right? It's just mist. It's just fog. But when we get back to the monastery, we're soaking wet. And that's actually what's happening here. You're walking in fog. And when you get home, you don't know what it's going to be like. You really don't know. And also not to have any expectations. for what that's going to be like. One of my favorite phrases from Sayadaw, he says, let whatever happens, happen. Learn from every experience. Just be natural and simple. Let whatever happens, happen. Learn from every experience. Just be natural and simple. You don't have to slow down unnaturally. You don't have to make an effort to concentrate. Our simple objective is just to become more and more aware. And the more continuous awareness is, the sharper, the more clear the mind will be, the more receptive it becomes. And so this is, again, a story from Sayadaw Utejaniya. He says, a meditator once came to practice at our center, that's Shwayumin, and became quite frustrated because she didn't understand what I meant when I asked, what is your attitude? It took her three weeks of intensive investigation before she understood attitude as it related to her practice. She'd been practicing watching the breath meditation, right? She's doing breath meditation, Anapanasati, and also trying to observe her thoughts. But she just couldn't figure out attitude. What was it? What was it? 
Then it came to her quite suddenly. She explained, it was the lens through which I was perceiving. Once the object was colored by this lens, it was changed to reinforce my personality structure. Essentially, objects became tools for building the self. It was the lens through which I was perceiving. Once the object was colored by this lens, it was changed to reinforce my own personality structure. Essentially, objects became tools for building the self. And so this is what Sayara says, the commentary. He says this was a very powerful insight. It helped her understand why she was so irritated by life. She was wearing the irritation-colored lens. And this pattern had been reinforced over a lifetime of attitudes arising to create and protect the self. Because better skills like compassion or loving-kindness had not been there to ease the challenges of her life. After she left our center, she was able to keep the insight alive in her daily life, where it has helped her face the challenges of a committed relationship and the lack of exit that comes with motherhood. So we're taking those glasses off. That's what we're doing. And it's not for the faint of heart, and it's not easy. It can be very difficult. can also be very fun but so worth it. Joseph says that this path leads to every kind of happiness. So that's kind of enticing, right? We can trust it. What we're doing here is very good. Very good. It's very trustworthy. So this poem called Smart Cookie The fortune that you seek is in another cookie. It was my fortune. So I'll be equally frank. The wisdom that you covet is in another person. It's in another poem. The life that you desire is in a different universe. The cookie you're craving is in another jar. The jar is buried somewhere in Tennessee. (laughs) Don't even think of searching for it. If you found that jar... Everything would go kerflui for a thousand miles around. It's the jar of your fate in an alternate reality. Don't even think of living that life. Don't even think of eating that cookie. Be a smart cookie. Eat what's on your plate. Not in some jar in Tennessee. That's my wisdom for today, though I know it's not what you're looking for. So let whatever happens, happen. Continuously check your attitude. Know the whole of your experience. And as Shoyumin Saira says, don't try to do anything. Don't try to prevent anything. But don't miss what's happening. Thank you for listening. 
To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.